You're listening to A Temple Wild, Episode 6, Athena and the Gift of the Olive. Hello and welcome to A Temple Wild, where we rediscover the myths of the ancient Greeks through the plants and landscapes that shaped them. My name is Ecstasy, and it is a gorgeous day in early May here in Greece, and it feels almost like summer, and while I was out in the garden this morning soaking in the sunshine, I noticed that the olive tree in our garden is actually covered in buds. And this is very exciting because this particular tree was actually aggressively cut back several years ago by the previous owners. And last year it only produced one very small little olive. And, you know, we've been tending the tree and sort of taking care of it now for the last two years, including pruning it. And, um, and uh, you know, if the buds are any indication, I think that the tree might actually really soon be covered in small white flowers, which is really exciting. I'm hoping that means that we're going to actually get some olives this year. And, you know, the olive tree is actually, it's an incredible evergreen. It's resilient, it's long-lived, it's slow-growing, and it's drought-tolerant, which means that it's perfectly suited for Mediterranean climates. And despite over 5,000 years under human cultivation, the olive still remains wild-looking and ancient. And some trees even surpass 1,000 or 2,000 years of age. That, that blows my mind. I mean, that is absolutely incredible to think that a tree can survive over 2,000 years of life on this planet. It survives fires and drought and even a complete cutting back to the stump. No matter what, it seems like the olive tree, just, it just does not give up. And it typically is a shrub if it's left to its own devices, but in cultivation, we typically prune it into a tree shape in order to encourage its flowering and its fruiting. And they're typically grown in groves, you know, driving around Greece, it's really common to see very large tracts of land. They're just kind of blanketed with that olive silver gray canopy. Um, but they can also be grown as single trees since most of them are self-fertilizing, which means that they don't need a partner tree, they don't need wind, they don't even need pollinators in order to make their fruit. And, you know, there are some varietal exceptions to that, but for the most part, um, olives, like I said, you know, they can, they can be solitary trees. They can also be grown in containers, and it's often, um, you know, it's common to see them sort of small olive trees pruned into interesting topiary shapes, much like the bay laurel tree, which you might remember from one of our other episodes. And so the olive, though, it's this formidable, primordial, and powerful tree. It's a teacher of perspective. I mean, after living a thousand, two thousand years of life on this earth, how can you not have perspective? 
Um, and it's a reminder to us of the ancestral gifts of awe, gratitude, and humility. It's associated particularly with the goddess Athena or Athena, as well as Zeus and also the patron of human culture, Aristeus. And it's a sacred symbol in ancient Greece of divine blessing and wisdom. So I think the most famous story of the olive tree is the one associated with Athena or Athena, who is a goddess primarily of wisdom and wise counsel, of wartime, and also of weaving, which I think is interesting. Weaving and other crafts such as pottery. Um, and it's said that when she and Poseidon, who was the god of sea and earthquakes, when they both were seeking to make the region of Attica their own, to sort of have patronage um, and responsibility over that region of Greece, um, they took part in a contest to see who could bear the best gift to the region. And Poseidon struck the ground with his trident, bringing forth a rush of salt water. In another version, he even also gave the first horse, um, the first war horse to the region of Attica. But Athena, in response, instead, she struck the ground and offered the very first cultivated olive tree. And her offering was voted to be the superior gift for humankind. And so therefore she became the patron of the region's city, naming it after herself, Athens, and then planting that first olive tree on its Acropolis, where her sacred temple, the Parthenon, was then built. And so the olive branch from then on was um, included on coins from the ancient city of Athens, along with Athena's sacred animal, the owl, to denote her sacred patronage of the city. And as an origin story for the city of Athens, I think this points really to the integral role that the olive played in Greek civilization and its perceived blessing upon humanity. And indeed, I think the olive was a vital source of food, medicine, cosmetics, light, and religious importance for the ancient civilizations of the Mediterranean, including the Minoans and the Mycenaeans. And another story that features the olive is that of Heracles, also known as Hercules. And it's said by Pindar that when he arrived in Olympia at the sanctuary of his father, Zeus, um, Heracles actually found it completely barren of trees. And he felt a calling to go visit the land of the Hyperboreans. And so it was there in the land of the Hyperboreans that he actually encountered the olive tree. And he returned to Olympia in order to plant the trees there at Zeus's sanctuary. And that's also where he established the Olympic Games in his father's honor. And so the olive trees were planted as a way to provide cool shade for the athletes. And, um, you know, the ancient Greeks actually seemed to make a distinction between the cultivated olive, which is called Elea, and the wild olive called Kotinos. And so during the ancient Olympic Games, the winner of each event would be crowned with a wreath of wild olive that had been ritually cut and woven from the sacred kotonos that were growing outside of Zeus's temple in Olympia. 
So that's how the olive branch became a sacred symbol of Zeus, of his blessing and his protection. Um, and also he himself was even depicted wearing crowns or half wreaths of olive. And in yet even another story about the olive, we have the semi-divine figure Aristeus, who is actually credited with gifting the practice of olive cultivation to humans, along with other crafts like beekeeping and herb crafting, cheese making, and other sort of rural or pastoral arts like herding and foraging. So one of my favorite museums in all of Greece <laughs> in all of Greece, not all of Greece, although I guess either one would work. Um, it's actually called the Museum of the Olive and Greek Olive Oil in Sparta. And you can see amazing exhibits there about the oil's cultivation throughout time, including life-size replicas of the evolution of the oil press, which is actually really, really fascinating. Um, and also learn about the history of its use in medicine, cosmetics, religious ceremony, and cooking. If you're interested in more information about that museum, you can head over to atemplewild.com and I have some lists, I have a link in the show notes, so you can, um, if you're planning a trip to Greece anytime soon, you can check out that museum. It's definitely worth a stop. So both olive oil and olives were a foundational part of the ancient Mediterranean diet. The leaves were also used as a medicinal tea and a wash for various ailments, and wood from the tree was carved into sacred figurines, as well as used for household tools and construction. But it was the oil, in particular, that was prized for its many uses as a source of body care, of light, of blessing, and of religious ceremony. As a base for perfume or for salve, the oil was applied as a topical moisturizer and even as a cleanser for the body and the hair. So ancient art depicts that bathing Greeks as well as athletes, they would apply the oil onto their bodies and then scrape it off using a special curved tool called a, I believe it's pronounced strigil or strigil, um, that would remove dirt and sweat from the body. And the oil was also burned in terracotta lamps and torches as a source of light. And it was used to bless sacred statues, applied to anoint leaders as well as supplicants, and it was poured on the ground in offering to both the gods and the ancestors. So one of the things that I find amazing about the olive tree is to just reflect upon the thousands of years, the hundreds of years that each tree has witnessed in its life. You know, it has seen the life-death cycles of countless other species, other plants, other insects, um, humans who have come and gone in its presence. And, you know, I just wonder what kind of wisdom that in you know that that type of life or that that length of life can bring into your being especially being grounded in place as it is and seeing so many seasons in one place and i really like to you know call upon that wisdom and to reflect on the perspective the sacred perspective that the olive tree can give us 
and its connection with our ancestry. We have had a relationship with this tree for over 5,000 years. And, you know, I think within its stories is the story of human, our human experience. You know, we, we share the oil in meals. We use it to adorn and, you know, bless our bodies. Um, we used to use it as sacred light um, and, of course, as medicine. And so, you know, while you might think that the olive tree, because it's associated with, um, you know, a goddess of war, with Athena or with Zeus, you know, you would think that maybe the olive tree would be a symbol of victory or of, um, you know, triumph. But for the ancients, nothing was done by human power alone. They really had an understanding of our connection with nature. And, you know, for them, triumph was a blessing of the gods. It was, or, or perhaps an intervention from the forces of fate. Um, but, you know, for that reason, I think that the olive crown and the olive in general is really a symbol of divine blessing. You know, the winner of the Olympic Games, they didn't win from personal and human skill alone, and definitely not by chance. Um, but because the gods and the forces of nature, they had decided to aid them in their challenge. And as each major story associated with the olive, like I said, of Athena, Heracles, Zeus, Aristeus, it really emphasizes the gift of the olive and its blessings upon human culture. So I think to me, the olive really is a potent teacher of wisdom, of ancestral gifts, and divine blessing. And so to me, this idea of being blessed or, you know, thinking of life as a gift, um, it's really a state of mind. To me, it's, it's the opposite of taking something for granted. It's not about having earned it or about being owed something. It's actually more about the ability to really bow in humility to the fleeting nature of our lives, but also to rise up in gratitude you know, to the mysterious force of nature and the mysterious life that we are living. And, you know, being blessed, it's, it's like a state of awe and state of wonder at the complexity of our experience. And so, you know, this, this idea of divine awe, this idea of gratitude, um, it's a challenge right? It's particularly difficult, I think, in times of illness or chronic pain, um, when we're going through grief and loss or failure. And I think it's easier. It's easier to feel gratitude and it's easier to feel blessed, you know, when we're in times of abundance and in times of health and joy and connection. You know, I think everything feels so personal all the time. You know, whether, whether things are good or things are bad, it feels like a personal attack on you, you know, that you are either being rewarded or you're being punished. Um, but I, I think something that the olive reminds me um, is that, you know, there's no thought, there's no emotion, there's no sensation that someone somewhere has not already had. And in fact, it's actually really likely that right now, 
hundreds, if not thousands or even millions of other human beings are thinking and feeling the exact same thing that you are. And if they're not, then at some point in the past or at some point in the future, they will. And this is the wisdom for me of the olive tree. You know, the gift of our ancestry, the divine blessing of perspective, and that there's nothing really new to our human experience. And yet, at the same time, everything is fresh every moment because we're experiencing it right now. And, you know, our, our life is something that's granted to us from our ancestors. It's terribly beautiful. It's wonderfully awful. Sometimes it's even really boring. <laughs> and, you know, when we lose our perspective, when everything feels personal, when we find ourselves stuck in a loop of, you know, grandiosity, maybe thinking, oh, I'm the most important thing in the universe. I'm so blessed and important to the gods and to the forces of nature. Um, you know, or if we're on the opposite of that and we're stuck in this loop of insignificance where our life doesn't matter and, you know, we're absolutely nothing in the face of time and, and all of nature. Um, I think the olive can be called on as a teacher of, of wisdom and humility and ancestral connection and perspective to just help us remember our place in the web of life. And so translating that into an actual practice, to find yourself an olive tree, whether it's, you know, in your native lands, if you're here in the Mediterranean, or if you happen to live somewhere where, you know, you can grow an olive either in your garden or, or inside in a very sunny corner of your house. Um, and just reflect on the stories, you know, the stories that several hundreds of years would impart onto such a being. And I, I encourage you to just let the wisdom of the olive and its shared history with our species whisper to you the wisdom of the ages. And I have a little devotion that I, I sometimes like to say, Blessed Olive, keeper of wisdom, teach me divine perspective so that I may know humility, awe and wonder and rise with dignity to this daily challenge of being human. I want to thank you so much for listening today. A Temple Wild is totally funded by your support. So if you're passionate about Greek mythology, plant lore, and the incredible Mediterranean landscape, I'd really love to have you join our community as a patron. With your support, I'm able to afford the tools and the time that it takes to create and write, record and edit, and publish these stories from the land. For those of you who are already supporting the show, thank you so much. It's really you who keeps a Temple Wild live on the web. And I'm so grateful that you're joining me on this journey through the mythic Greek landscape. If you too would like to become a patron, head on over to atemplewild.com for more details. And while you're there, you can also sign up to the monthly newsletter, send me a personal message, or even leave a one-time tip in the tip jar if you're not able to become a regular supporter at this time. 
I thank you again so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you next time.